For over 25 years, Sports Illustrated Kids has delivered sports the way kids want to read about it. And we've delivered it every month in print. Now, we're happy to be relaunching SIKids.com. The new site was designed to be mobile first to give our audience the content it craves in an easily digestible way. Kids are some of the most passionate sports fans around. We plan to make this site the experience they deserve. Head to SIKids.com right now to check it out. Again, that's SIKids.com. We have a special Planet Football podcast here today. We're coming to you from my hotel room. This is Grant Wall in Guatemala City, ahead of the U.S.-Guatemala World Cup qualifier. Very special guest uh, today, uh, a guy who's been involved in U.S. soccer for a very long time. Uh, And we're going to talk today about uh, a legend, uh, Johan Cruyff, who passed away today of of lung cancer and... uh, Thomas Rongen is with us. Thomas is a friend and mentor of Cruyff, and appreciate you joining us. And I'm sorry about your friend. Yeah, it's it's a yeah, it's a big loss for for the soccer community in general. I mean, Cruyff was loved throughout the world uh, for what he stood for and the way he played, obviously. Um, and you're right for somebody who's lived with him, uh, that played with him, that knew him quite well, and not just him, but I grew up with. His three children. I saw Jordy Cruyff actually play his first match, match when he was five years old in Washington, D.C. And Jan went, oh, my God. With my last name, he, this is going to be a, a terrible for him because he, he, was, he, was, he didn't look good. So mm-hmm. Jordy actually carved out a good way. Yes, it's, it's a sad day for football. Yeah, I should say you're here for being sports uh, to cover this yes. game, which will be uh, on Friday night at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern on BN. Uh, and... Uh, and also, I guess I just wanted to start by by asking you about a little about your your history. Obviously, you're both Dutch, you and Cruyff, but you played with him, you lived with him. How do you want to start? Uh, well, maybe I should start when I was five years old and 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 fell in love, obviously, uh, with with my club Ajax, where I came through the youth development system, and and Cruyff was my my hero, Cruyff was everybody's hero, not just in Holland, but throughout the, throughout Europe at that particular time. Obviously, in 1999, was voted the, the, the player of the century. And uh, I have some incredibly fond memories of my childhood, uh, watching him play and being in awe of, of the mastery of football and the ball and all the things that he was able, capable of doing. But I grew a, even more fonder of him when I started to play with him and, and spend time with him in Washington, D.C., when they brought me in with open arms. I made $12,000 a year. I'm sure he made a lot more. and said, Thomas, stay here as long as you want. You're part of our family. Um, and it was very pretty cool. You know, they came to the United States because uh, his wife and the children were, were, were kept hostage for a few hours in Barcelona, and he wow. wanted to go to a country, uh, which he always said when we walked to Georgetown, and nobody knew who he was. And, and he loved his time in the United States. So, you know, being able to come to this country at a young age, I'm probably 10 years younger than Johan. I actually am. He's 68 and mm-hmm. was 68 and I'm 58. Um, it, it was just an incredible experience for, for me to first and foremost to play for Renus Meagles in my first year for the Aztecs and Alan Rothenberg on the team. And Johan was brought in 
um, about four games into the season. I remember vividly we played in the Rose Bowl against uh, against Rochester. He came on because he just came off a red eye, basically from Europe. Came on in the sixtieth minute, chipped the goalkeeper one two one, walked off the field. <laughs> All done. That was that was Johan. You know, I mean, he he had a sense of of drama and captured uh, uh, people, which was which was incredible. Hmm. Um, and then you were in DC with him. We he got bought by DC and somehow convinced uh, the diplomats for me to follow him because one thing I did very well, I did all his dirty work. <laughs> and I remember very vividly after a week in LA, he looked at me and goes, Thomas, you're an okay player, but just fucking win the ball and give it to me and don't do anything else. I went, okay, yo, no problem. So he knew my strength and weaknesses real quick. You know, I was yeah. a I was a content show and a heart and you know, Naiskins kind of, of, of type of, of player. Um uh, but he learned me some some great lessons. Uh, we played in in uh, in LA against the Cosmos one game. Mm-hmm. We lost two one late. I let Cabanas, the great Paraguayan player, played at that time uh, with Giorgio Kinali and obviously mm-hmm. Beckenbauer. I let him go in a give and go situation. They scored, and he literally in front of the team pinned me against the wall and said, "In the old days, when we got bonuses, I would have lost a thousand dollars. You take food of my children's plate. Do never do it again." And I never did. So he was very pungent. He 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 had a a clear idea how he wanted to play. I've seen him once, and and bless his soul, uh, prior to a game, going to a blackboard, cleaning everything off, and say to the head coach, "Let me put the uh, the team together." That, that was Johan, stubborn, but convinced of that what he did was 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 right. Yeah. Before I ask you just to tell me some great stories, because I know you have great stories, <laughs> and you've already told us a few. Um, put in some historical perspective, just how special this guy Cruyff was and, and what he achieved and what kind of a a thinker he was. He he was a, an incredible thinker. I think if you look at, there's maybe two, two players and coaches, look at Franz Beckenbauer who played, who obviously won a world cup as a, as a, as a manager, uh, at Bayern, Johan obviously is a great player. Went to Barcelona with Rinas Migos, and and I, the reason why I say he's the most influential person in soccer, bar none, in my opinion, in the last five, maybe even six decades, is this book he showed me. That he said I've never shown anybody else, where he laid out his philosophy when he was a 21 year old how to shape Ajax, and convinced Rinas Migos to do that in the late 60s when they went in that run in the early 70s, won three European championships. And he brought in four or five players, unknown players, that he felt could contribute to the total football that everybody all of a sudden knew in 74, but was already done in the late... The foundation was laid in the, in the late 60s. Mm. And, and you know, the WM system, the Catanaccio, the, the, the 442 were all prevalent styles of play. And he wanted, to, he wanted to change the landscape of football, not only in Holland, but, but internationally. And he did that overlapping football, fullbacks that became wingers, wingers that became fullbacks. Uh, if you look at Cruyff, if you look at the first two minutes of the final against Germany, Johan Cruyff at one point in time touches the ball as the deepest player in the field, beyond the fullbacks basically, wow. and ends up 20 seconds later inside the box where Bertie Fox fouls him and we get that early penalty that we got one nothing, which probably killed us a little because we thought game is in the back. We were the best team mm-hmm. bar none in, in 74. And for him then to transition to Barcelona, again with Rinas Migos, you got to give him some credit as well, mm-hmm. to start La Masia, to 
take talented players, not based on size, anything else. That's why the Iniestas, the Zavis, the Messis were able to flourish because Cruyff had said it doesn't it doesn't matter. Look at me. Cruyff was a buck ten mm-hmm. grand. You know, that was about it. Mm. And he was able to survive because those yeah. players have great balance. They've got quickness. They're faster with the ball than without the ball. They're they're actually a little bit stronger than people think they are because they've got a lower center of of, of gravity. And for for now to see coaches like Pep Guardiola that have played for Johan, that give him that tribute of when we played for Johan, that's the way we played. So most teams internationally now in the world are playing out of a slanted, you know, four two three one, whatever it is. But it's 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 in essence a four three three. Yeah. So now for the last four decades, we've seen a style of play that rarely has changed. Now we don't see too many tactical, real drastic tactical change, and you go, wow. This guy in Paraguay really is playing only with one defender and five forwards. No. So he revolutionized the game that it is today, five decades ago. That's why I say he's the most influential player ever. Interesting. Now, it's amazing how small the soccer world can be. Bertie Votes is in Guatemala City right now as an assistant coach with the U.S. men's national team. Just for me, seeing kids in our hotel this morning in the lobby wearing Barcelona shirts... Just something that simple is Cruyff's influence in Guatemala. Correct. If I can walk on a recreational field, Grant, and tell a, a kid, do a Cruyff move. How many players have a, a move called after their name, actually? There's, not there might only be, not many, correct. Menka is the only one yes, I can think of. Yes, there's another one, exactly, that's correct. About it. But five-year-olds, you talk about a legacy, you know, five-year-olds are doing the Cruyff move yeah. right now, you know? So that's that's... That's pretty telling story as, as well. And then you see what we're in Guad City. You know, we see we see Barcelona jerseys. You know, all inspired by the start when again Cruyff and Migos started this 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 revolution really with Ajax and later with Barcelona. That's that's pretty cool to see. Really, it is. Yeah. So stories, you've got some. What are your yeah. favorites? Yeah, we, well, I don't know where we start. I mean, Johan, and, and, and bless his heart, because that was always his downfall. I mean, smoking. Mm-hmm. Um, in the old NESL days, the, the red-eye flights were the best. You know, you could smoke, you, free champagne, Rinus Miguel set up front, and Cruyff in the back with most European players that all smoked, including myself, I yeah. hate to say it, and we used to play cards. And those were moments that were just priceless for, for me. Yeah. There's moments uh, that John Feinstein talks about, the great uh, post writer. His first gig, similar mm-hmm. to you many years ago, was to follow the diplomats. And yeah. John went, what am I going to do with this soccer thing? You know, he's really, okay. <laughs> I've been told I need to follow this. You know, Brian Strauss, there you go. He's the Brian Strauss. He tells a story that they're in a hotel room and um, they have to go to Cruyff's room and it's on the third floor. And, okay, let's take the elevator, John says. And Cruyff says, no, no, it's okay. They're going through the kitchen, you know, whatever. And 10 seconds later, somehow... They're in Cruyff's room, you know, which is fancy still goes, did you scout this out? He goes, no, it's just smart thinking. You know, that, that was Johan. We, or not, not we, he went to D.C. to sign his contract after the LA, uh, uh, Aztecs period was over, came back, brought the family and myself with him, mm. got in the cab, and proceeded to tell the cab after a minute how to drive to his new home. In D.C. In D.C. And we got there faster. The cab driver was amazed. And that was yelling again, you know. I mean, I don't know if that's brilliance, if that's genius, if, the, if, the, if, the, if that's... I wish he would have done an SAT score, you know. Right. It would have been, been Einstein-like. He was a little crazy as well on that virtue of brilliance, of, yeah. you know, losing that a little bit at times. And, and you know, it was just great to be, be around him. So, you know, I, I end up in, in Washington, D.C., um, 
with the family Cruyff, supposedly only for a week, ended up being six months. How old were you? I was then 22. I had a good time in Hollywood first, you know, in, in LA, and now I'm in DC, in Georgetown. I'm going, okay, this is, this is a good gig. I'm single. Okay, I'm still making 12000 a year, but I'm, I have a free place to stay, a yeah. free story with an elevator next to the Rockefellers and next to the Kennedys, which I didn't know at that time. So, so you literally live next door. Yeah. To the Rockefellers and the Kennedys correct. in D.C. In D.C., correct, exactly. In Croyfell. We, 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 we swam in the Rockefellers' house. We had brunch quite often with the Kennedys. Um, uh, Sunday brunch was always very special where some of the neighbors were, were invited. But it was one night. Actually, Johan uh, Croy's wife, after three weeks, says to me, because I didn't go out, I drove home with Johan. I didn't have transportation. I got a car later because in 1980, he scored the goal of the year. He got a Toyota. And he goes, what am I going to do with this, this car? And his wife goes, give it to Thomas. I went, oh, yeah, okay, that's fine. So I had a car. <laughs> so I go out. So I had a good night out. Um, they had a bad episode in Barcelona. One of the reasons why they came to the United States, the family, not Johan, but the kids and his wife were held hostage for about... Four hours, it it happened, you know, it ended fine. But they decided to go somewhere where where they're more anonymous, where they could walk around and, and enjoy their life, which they did. They loved their period in in the United States, both on and and off the field. Mm-hmm. So I came home late with a few bevies. Uh, I looked at the two guard dogs they had, you know, killers, so to speak, because they still wanted to make sure that the children were all right. Yeah. And I decided not to go in and wake them up. <laughs> or get eaten alive, and I fell asleep outside. And somebody next morning wakes me up and goes, you want a cup of coffee? I know you live here. I said, yeah, that's fine. So I walked back after about an hour, and, and, and Yohan goes, you know what it was? I said, no, that's Ted Kennedy. I go, really? I go, hi, that's cool. And Ted took a liking to me. So I rolled with the Kennedys for like a year in D.C. I'm going, all right, this is pretty cool. These guys, there's a large family here of Kennedys. Not knowing really the history, now I do, obviously, but, but then I didn't. So those were Maria Schreiber, not Maria Shriver, uh, her, her mom got me involved in the Special Olympics and, yeah. and, and stuff like that. So that was, that was a pretty amazing period in my life in general. How many people yeah. can talk about it, hanging out with, the, with Ted, you know, having a few bevies with him. Yeah. And have a guy drive you around. You know, that's pretty, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as your connection to Johan over the years, are there any other special moments that you can remember, things you experienced, you saw? Well, the goal of the year against Seattle, where he gets mm. the ball in his own half, takes four or five people on, almost best-like when, when best scored against the strikers, the team I played for, and he nutmegged me twice, by the way, on, on, on that goal. Uh, but I'm very proud to be in that uh, in that clip, uh, to say the least. Uh, George is also a teammate of mine. I can tell you a lot of great stories about best too, but that's... <laughs> from the Manhattan Beach days, but we'll, we'll talk about that another time, another podcast. But Johan's ability just to, to inspire, to motivate, to give back, uh, to be accessible to John Feinstein, to mm-hmm. do a TV show, to help the develop. He really was here to help the game, to develop the game. Yeah. And, and I think if you look back at that, it's not that generation anymore that our fans rap, you know, but, but their children might have been because they've seen Johan Cruyff. Mm-hmm. Um, my great colleague um, uh, Dave Johnson talks about mm-hmm. 12, 13, 14, watching the diplomats play and being in awe of Johan Cruyff, and that's why he loves soccer right now. Yeah. Those are great stories, and, and we forget about the NESL sometimes uh, mm-hmm. in in this beautiful MLS landscape that we've created right now, but those were those guys were the trailblazers, man. Yeah, I, it's fun because for me, the Sports Illustrated Vault, which is the archives of all of Sports Illustrated magazine, over the decades, just finally went back online. 
And so we cool. posted a story today from his Aztecs days uh, that was written. And uh, it was just like a time capsule of being parachute, you know, dropped into this moment. Uh, and obviously he had so many other big moments in his career, but it, the, his U.S. experience, <laughs> his U.S. experience was a pretty cool one. Yeah, it, it, it certainly was. And if you, there, there's one book written where it's, specifically talks about his American adventure. And, and obviously, Surubir, Johan Neeskens, there were quite a few Dutch, uh, mm -hmm. even earlier, Van Hanegem, Dick Advocaat, uh, played for the Chicago Sting in mm -hmm. probably the early 70s. They were real trailblazers, where they would just bring over, you know, teams for a month or two, and then they would go back to England or Holland and, and played games, and that's how eventually the NASL emerged. But um, again, you know, he, he loved Los Angeles. He loved D.C., uh, he knew this country had great potential in terms of the game, but also players. That's the only thing when I spoke to him last, which wasn't too long ago, he just scratched his head. He said, Thomas, why haven't you produced some really brilliant players? The U.S.? Yes. He was baffled by that. Huh. He felt, as you are too, if I would have stayed there, we would have five guys play for Barcelona. Okay, well, fair enough. <laughs> There was a quote in the in that 1979 uh, that 1979 Sports Illustrated story where he said Pele got this country to 60 percent of its soccer potential. Mm -hmm. I want to get it to 75 percent, and that goes exactly along with what you're saying of him being probably in the present day baffled <laughs> about the U.S. not having produced that superstar yet. Um, interesting. I, like, yeah, in in recent years. Um, when you had met up with him, when you had talked with him, what else would you talk about? Um, not football, really. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he, over time, he actually was able to, to get away from it. Mm. He loved Barcelona. He spent about six months in Amsterdam. is obviously very close to him as well. He tried to, to great frustration, change Ajax, you know, for the last two decades. Yeah. It didn't really happen. Mm -hmm. And he's, Slowly distanced himself a little bit from uh, from that. Yeah, he yeah he took great pride in his foundation, his yeah. his college, mm. which by the way is, wasn't Trump like. This was a real this was a real thing, you know. Mm. So um, we had expanded into Mexico. That they, they tried to get to the United States. It's a mm. four year, you know, preparation to become part of soccer management. Not mm. it's not technical. It's not for coaches. Um, and he had some some other things that he. He felt very good about it. He built a lot of um, pitches, artificial pitches in mm -hmm. Amsterdam. You know, the industrialized era that has taken over. When he grew up, they all played in the streets. Yeah. So he, he felt that we, we need to go back to our roots. Hmm. You know, Holland has lost some of its luster. And, and he felt it had something to do with culture, slash playing on the streets, slash freedom, slash being not strangled by a coach or mm. by an event or whatever. Just just play the game, you know, yeah. and, and be creative and, and, and a little bit of trial error kind of thing, although that's a little overstated as well. And the, and the, and the game is the best teacher. There's got to be guidance. There's got to be coaching, even at a young age. Mm. <clears throat> he was also a very <clears throat> firm believer, which was very interesting and against the mainstream of what people think right now. It was the last conversation. Thomas, the world needs to go 
back. We need to go back. The United States need to go back. Not all these small-sided games. He goes, listen, heading this part of the game, playing balls over distance part of the game. I look at MLS games right now. There's rarely a player that can strike balls from distance with consistency on target. Switch the point of attack, not just with a looping ball, but with a great shoelaces ball. Mm-hmm. And and if you play too many short side of possession games, you miss a lot of very important things that the game require eventually on a higher level. And you can't just switch that on overnight at 14 or 16 or mm-hmm. whatever the curriculum says. Ajax and Cruyff and Migros, one of the things they've always done Although they might say differently at Barcelona, but if you really look at it, it's not. Position, specific, trainer, the earlier, the better. Yeah. And and I hate to say it, but it goes against what all people teach. But when I grew up through Ajax, at 12, they said, you're going to be a right fullback. In practice situations, even in warm-ups, you're going to play that right side all the time because you're going to get the ball on the right feet from your center back. You've got to play it forward somehow. Mm. You're not going to hang out on the left side playing possession. And when you lose it, there's there's, there's functionality to, mm. to our session all the time in, in all of our exercises that we do, actually. And that makes sense because I think the game, we have more specialists now. It's changed a little bit from the total football, mm. fluent, interchanging. Even Brazil right now, they're they're got a holding midfielder. They play yeah. very structured now. It's it's different, you know. And 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 he feels in order to maintain your status and become and stay on the top, that you you gotta create specialists in every position. You mm. can't. I hate to say it. If I look at the U.S. right now, there's three or four players every game that play out of position. That, that play for the clubs 30 games as a left midfielder and are playing a right fullback. To me, that's that's doesn't make no sense to me. It really does not. And yeah, we we get some results still going doing that, but at the highest stage, that's just, you know, I mean, bringing Castillo back, who hasn't been there for six months, and he's the only true left-footed fullback, you know, and, and has done well, without a doubt. Um you know, Omar Gonzalez, that plays in a pretty fucking good league, you know, for Pachuca, uh, is back again, out of grace for a while. Clint Dempsey, I mean, it's yeah. it's 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 tough. And I'm not blaming anybody here, but going back to Johan Cruyff again, Johan thinks if you find a position, if a coach finds a position, if a club finds a position, if the specialists that know the game and are good coaches finds a position, you've got to hone your skills in that position each and every day, each and every game and not change from one position to another, which the fluid total football at one point in time was. And Barcelona, to a certain extent, you know, Messi still operates on the right and comes inside, Neymar on the left. So there's there's still positional structure there. It's yeah. not like, you know, like in 74, Lily was Wim Su, he played for 20 minutes like a, as, as a winger, and he was a right fullback. Yeah. And Shark Sword would just drop in. But... It was so revolutionary that I think we, we, we just surprised a lot of countries in the world. I'd never seen this before, right. and, and it worked in our favor. You're making me want to go back and watch full games from 74. Oh, you should. I mean, I was yeah. in the stadium when we beat Argentina 4-1. I was in the stadium when we hammered Brazil 3-1. It wasn't even close. Huh. And then that one was the toughest. Obviously, Argentina away when Johan didn't go. Yeah. And I won't say that because I'm probably the only person – that really knows why he didn't go, but uh, we'll we'll keep that there. Okay. Um, that one hurts, but again, you're playing in in two countries against the host. You know, tough circumstances. Yeah. 
could have won the game. Ransombrink Rins- actually hits the post, Grant, in the 90th minute at 1-1. And now we go mm-hmm. to OT and on campus, over he scores the winner. And then the last one as well, which is a heartbreak. So we go to three finals. But a little bit to what Johan says. I think there's one quote of Johan says, uh, if you can't win beautiful, then don't win at all. That's that's a little bit Dutch. We're, we're, we're hurting ourselves. Mm-hmm. We almost want to play two beautiful of a game and can't just say this game let's just get it let's get a result yeah. end the story doesn't matter how right well thomas rongan thank you for Thanks, taking Grant. some time to talk about your friend it was awesome thank you Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.